0: You're listening to the ESPN
1: Footy Tips AFL Podcast.
2: Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, joining me as always, Christian Jolly, have uh, Have your vocal cords recovered from the, t- t- the amount that you had to speak last week on the Hashtag Ask Champion Data episode of the podcast?
1: I'm going alright, so uh, no, I enjoyed it, it was good to uh, answer all those questions. Not,
2: not a bit more croaky than
1: usual, are you there? I think I'm all right. Jack Michaels, uh,
2: welcome along to you. How are you doing this fine day?
0: Going well. Uh, Looking forward to another game tonight. I think that's about 14 or 15 in a row. So getting through them.
2: Good fun. We're getting there, Neil Seawang. Uh, How are you coping uh, in the footy fest so far?
3: We are. Yeah, I must admit it's a bit of an overkill at the moment. I think we're all sort of... (laughs) Just trying to get through to the end of this period, aren't we? But um, a lot of people are, are loving it. You know, too much food is never enough for them. But for some people, it's uh, yeah, it's a bit of an overkill.
2: Well, you hit the nail on the head, Jake. 14 days down, six to go. Uh, Neil says it's a bit of overkill. Are you you coping okay? Are you watching all the games uh, night after night or are you taking a night off here and there and catching up down the track? How are you managing to cope?
0: No, I'm watching them all live, but I guess I can do that because, you know, I don't have kids or anything else to to worry about. (laughs) uh, (laughs) No, I like it. I I actually quite enjoy it. The only time I think is when it gets to Saturday and you expect to have, you know, four or five games and you might only have two and then it's kind of like, yeah, it's a little bit weird, but I, I quite like it. You wake up and you kind of like, all right, once you know, once work's done, I can watch this game or, you know, if it's on a bit later. So no, I'm enjoying it.
2: Yeah, I am too. Um, I was on deck last night and, uh, well, I guess the strange thing was having a game that the first bounce was at 8.40 p.m. Eastern time on a Monday evening. That, that was, was a bit late. That was a bit <laughs> strange. I, I wouldn't mind that on a, on a Saturday to have one go a bit later and, you know, maybe they can explore that in the future. We kind of touched on it last week in our round table discussion, but... Uh, alas, I'll I'll digress and we can move on. Uh, before we get into the real stuff, though, Christian, anything catch your eye from the week footy that we might not get to chat about in too much detail?
1: Um, mine was probably more off field, but yeah, looking at um at a few social media. So I think it started earlier last week. Callan Ward sort of um speaking up about receiving death threats and things like that for um the end of the uh, GWS Essendon game, but also over the weekend, just started noticing players sort of starting to call out some of those trolls that are hitting him up over whether it's lost bets or fantasy points or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's probably something that we've come across with Champion Data as well. We get looped into those messages. But I think, um, yes, it's good to see the sort of players banding together and starting to call these people out and really making a stand and rather than just ignoring it and living in silence sort of thing. So Wait, I think so hopefully we see more of it.
2: You're saying Champion Data is getting threats from punters because of stats that aren't being...
1: No, I... I, or? I, I I don't think it's got to threats at the moment, but, you know, queries and we, we, we know, you know, there's a lot of confusion and always people sort of, uh, you know, and it started before betting. It started with fantasy 10 years ago. So there's always, you know, issues, but for the play, you know, and we sort of cop it and we have an inquiries email and we answer what we can, but for the players to be hit up directly, DM'd and things like that, I think that's going too far. So I, I, I'm sort of enjoying seeing the players push back and fight back and hopefully put a, put an end
2: to it. Jake, you're a poker man. What do you make of all this?
1: Uh
0: I, I agree. I, I think it's, it's unfair to, to criticise players. I mean, it, sport's an interesting um, industry because it's one of the only sort of fields and, I guess, professions where you can just be openly criticised. Like, you have a bad game. Everyone can just have a go at you all day on social media in person. Imagine if, you know, if your doctor got something wrong. Like, you just go in there and start abusing your doctor. Like, it just doesn't happen in other industries. And it happens in sports. Like it doesn't we, happen
3: in journalism.
0: Well, you may be journalism too. But, you know, it does happen in a lot of other industries. And it's. I I think Christian's right. I think it's good that the players are pushing back because they're going out, they're trying to win a game. And, you know, if someone's bet on someone to have 20 disposals and they finish with 19, well, that's not their problem. That's the person putting the bet down.
2: Yeah, I I agree. It's it's disgraceful behaviour, really. I mean, the difference between a bloke getting 19 and 20 touches and hitting that sort of threshold for a bet to get paid out. But... This player, I mean, they might have played their role completely perfectly, and, and the coach might be extremely happy with them. And the first thing they see when they turn their phone on is, yeah. You're a this and that, and hope you die. I mean, it's just, it, come Neil, I mean, the, is, the funny, is, this, is this the, the least, ironic least,
0: thing is that the, the punter would rather than kick the ball out on the full 20 times in a row than, than have 19 that hit the target? So, you yeah, know, yeah. that's where it's getting to.
2: Sports betting it's is just, a, the, a, go on, Neil.
3: It's just the downside of the social media world we live in. Everyone's got a voice now, everyone's got a platform you know 15 years ago the players you know you might have put a bet on and got frustrated and you know shook your fist at the air or yelled at a cloud but um you had you know there's no way to reach the players themselves so it's just the, mm. the world we live in unfortunately
2: and the worrying thing is you can be anonymous online and, and that's uh something that a lot of people tend to hide behind uh, as mm. you say jake journalists cop it sometimes as well and and uh, you know, it's just too easy to be a nobody on the internet and say all these sort of vitriolic things and it's, it's no good, unfortunately. No good at all. Uh, well, let's get into the footy. Um, less about betting, more about footy. Last week we had uh, a lot of good feedback about our Ask, our Ask Champion Data episode. Um, Christian, we basically threw a bunch of questions at you that people had about what happens at Champion Data uh, and you went through and, and answered them all really well and we had some great feedback. So we thought we might bring it back again. But before we get into some fresh questions that we got uh, throughout the week, there was one last week that needed a bit more research. I wanted to throw this to you and you said, give me a bit of time to look it up. Uh, and that was how goal accuracy differs the further you go out from goal and the closer you are to the boundary. So the further you are from directly out in front. And you've gone ahead, you've gone away and you've, you've crunched the numbers and you've worked out for us where obviously players are most accurate and how quickly the accuracy drops off. What can you tell us about accuracy in front of goal?
1: Yeah, so I've kept the numbers to this year only in the end. Um, I looked at putting various years into it, and there's not much difference. So it's interesting this, this year's numbers. So again, looking at um, accuracy, I've just set this one to set shots. So taking out all our variables. So this is just from marks or free kicks. Um, you know, whether you kick around the corner or drop panel doesn't really matter. But it's taking out all the general play snaps and how much pressure you're under and all that. So that's going into uh, great, great detail. So sort of broken the scoring zone into... 15 zones. So the ranges that we use for our scores, are from zero to 15 meters out, uh, the next range, 16 to 30, 31 to 40, 41 to 50, and then 50 plus, uh, and then the three sort of angles. So you've got the corridor, which is basically within the goal square, um, or, you know, a, a little bit wider of the goal square, um, depending if you're close to the 50, um, what we call sort of angles, slight angles. So that's, you know, 45 degree angle out sort of behind post way um, out that way. And then acute. So hard up on the boundary with a set shot. Um, and then, yeah, looked at all the the competition averages from each of those spots. So probably no surprise. Easier shot zero to 15 out in the corridor. Quite surprised. It's at 98.2% this year accuracy. So again, 1.8% of those shots are, are missing from dead in front 15 out.
2: Who, who would that uh, have been? Pro- Sorry. Who would that have been?
1: Was yeah, that, exactly. I Haven't uh, looked into the culprits or anything, but um, yeah, I think Tom you, Lynch missed one Tom, from to, the goal square. Tom Lynch missed an absolute sitter from the
2: goal square. He was yeah. one. I think. Um, oh, there was a St Kilda player I think that might have missed one too. I can't which remember. Is unusual
3: but... for the Saints because they've been on fire in front of goal.
2: Well, apart from last night, they were a bit uh, bit wasteful yeah. in front of the goals. But yeah, good point. So okay, so a couple have missed from directly out in front, basically from the goal square.
1: Yeah. So which was surprising. That's usually you know, I mean, ninety eight point two percent still a higher number. Uh, so then we drop down to 16 to 30 meters out within the corridor so that's at 83%. So 98 down to 83, 15% drop away. Pretty big drop between so from as I said 16 to 30 at 83%, 31 to 40 directly out uh set shot 63%. So it's a 20% drop off between those two sort of you know it's almost a, a you know 25 meter range or so but um, that's, that's probably one of the biggest drop-offs between ranges is the actual, yeah, you'd, you'd rather be within um, 30 metres than 30 to 40.
0: That's really interesting. So, what was it? 63% between 30 and 40 metres out directly in front.
1: Yep. And 83% a little bit closer. So. You
0: know, it's, it's not a great number for professionals, right? Dead in front. I mean, you'd think that that, that sort of range would be sort of in around the
1: 80, 83 mark. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it might have dropped from fifteen years ago, where we don't have you know a great set of numbers. I mean, we probably could go back that far, but as I said, looking at the last three or four years when I started going into it, there wasn't you know this this year isn't a huge drop away from the rest. But um, it's again with something we've spoken about in the last three or four years, accuracy is just it's just getting lower in AFL footy. There's so many different. Uh, Factors, you know, whether they're practicing goal kicking and mark, as much, whether it's just so many more players taking shots at goal. Whereas back in the eighties, Dunstall was taking sixty percent of all shots, and then you had forwards chipping in. Now you've got midfielders and defenders and everyone else having shots. So, um, I as just as think get, it's
0: crazy that you can be thirty-five
1: meters out, directly in front,
0: and by looking at the statistics, you're not much better than a coin flip to kick to kick
3: it. Yeah,
1: yeah, surprising. Yeah. Uh, And then, so we drop away again from 41 to 50, it drops to 51%. So 12% differential from 31 to 40. And then from 50 plus, it's 24% from within the corridor. So again, one in four shots from outside 50, uh, they're scoring a goal from. So then we start looking at angle and boundary. And again, you know, it's always going to be lower from the angle and the boundary than it is the corridor. The interesting one for me is if you're in an, from the angle, so not on the boundary, not hard up on the line, but just from an angle, 0 to 15, it's 62% this year. So it's been eight eight goals from uh, 13 shots taken there. So 61.5%. If you're 16 to 30 out on an angle, you're actually 70%. They're scoring at 70% accuracy. So again, just, um, and you know, you see it a lot in rugby league and things like that, where they're obviously, if you're on a tighter angle, you want to, you want to step back and uh, kick it from a bit further out. So, Again, yeah, you'd rather be fifteen to thirty out than zero to fifteen if you're kicking from sort of within the behind, between the goal and behind post sort of angle, if you can picture that.
2: So I'm just mapping this out as we go. So you're a you're a significantly better chance of kicking a goal on an angle from thirty, from twenty nine meters out, than you are kicking a goal straight in front from thirty eight meters out. Like there's a seven ish percent difference there. Correct. And yep. you're better and you're better off on the angle.
1: Yeah. Correct. So closer <laughs> to goal, yeah, they're they're kicking, they're, um, yeah, kicking much straighter from. It's probably yeah. It's probably the distance that shows up here more than the actual angle, if that makes sense. So again, from the boundary, uh, similar story. So uh, zero to fifteen and sixteen to thirty, you're more likely to score a goal from zero to fifteen. So, but this is the other way. So sixteen to thirty meters out on the boundary, forty percent accuracy. Mm-hmm. Not not a great jump, but thirty-one to forty out, you're actually forty-two percent accurate. So only two percent more. But again, just when you start looking at the angles, you sort of want to be, you know, if you're in the behind post, you'd rather be 16 to 30 than too close. And if you're right up on the boundary, again, you'd rather be 31 to 40. Um Maybe that's out, why, 30. maybe
3: we shouldn't be so surprised at Robbie Gray's goal after the siren against Carlton a few weeks back where everyone thought it was a, you, you know, to do a it, 1 in
1: 100 chance. You had to bring it up again. <laughs> I think he might've been, he might've been in the next one. I, I reckon he would've been. 40. I think he was about
3: 35, 40, yeah. was he? Or?
1: Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I could probably go back and see what we did. Mark it as I think he might have been forty under fifty, which would have been thirty-three percent. So it's a one in three uh, chance. <laughs> yeah, I added pressure. Robbie Gray and he just missed one. I was giving him a hundred percent chance <laughs> that one. So, um, and there's only out of all those fifteen ranges, there's only one range that hasn't been a goal kick this year. So fifty plus on the boundary has been two shots taken surprisingly both by the two Adelaide teams and neither of them scored. So, um, but yeah, from again, looking at outside 50 from the corridor, you're 24% from the angle, you're 22% again. So when you're further out, the angle does not matter really. Yeah. Uh, but Obviously if you're hard up on the boundary, where the 50 and the boundary line meet, no one scored from there yet this year.
2: I mean, it just goes Is to it? show that if you can try and get your shots closer in, I mean, it's, it's just logical, isn't it? But like there are a lot of teams that seem to sort of struggle to get Ball to the hot spot, and then their accuracy diminishes as a result. Whereas, you look at a team like St Kilda Neil, you mentioned, um, I've seen some stats around where they're the number one team for, uh, for shots close to goal. So they're just getting closer to the goal line um, within this sort of 15 metres of goal. And, and little wonder their accuracy is much higher than other clubs. Yeah, well, remember a couple yeah. of years back when Adelaide
0: was, uh, I mean, Josh Jenkins copped a lot of flack for it, kicking off his goals out of the goal square. But Adelaide, a lot of their goals came really close.
2: Yeah, running back towards goal. Yeah, it's
0: like, like, well, wouldn't you rather that? Yeah, (laughs) I'd rather be taking my shots five metres out than 50 metres
1: out. I was amazed that was a negative. It wasn't like they were the only two (laughs) kicks he was getting in the game. It was like, yeah, he's getting 12 kicks and two of those are out the back and he's kicking goals with them. How is that a negative on a player? He gets out the back too much. like, perfect. (laughs) I want all my players to get out the back (laughs) if they're going to get the ball. But we've seen too many teams
0: just going inside 50 to, you know, and they might hit a spot 45 out from goal. So it's like, okay, so... If you're kicking to a to a pack, you're you're 50 50 of winning that contest, and then whatever chance you are of actually taking that mark is lower than that. And then even if you have the set shot, you're still only a 50 50 or, or a little bit better to kick to kick it. So it's like you bet you. I mean, the numbers are clearly saying you're better off going longer to to a sort of 25 to, to 35 meters out.
1: Yeah. So then, but you you look at it the other way, and the opposition knows that. So the opposition has these numbers as well. And they go well. <laughs> You, you clearly that's where we're going to defend. We're not going to defend you 40, 50, you know, you know, even 35 out. You can let them go, if you know, rather than take the mark 35, 40 out than 25, 30 out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that's the problem. I mean, it, it sounds easy in theory, just get it closer to goal. But when the defence knows that that's where, you know, it's going to get a greater than 50% chance of the opposition kicking a score, you just – you you really stack your players to be, you know, zero to 30 out from goal to defend and allow that short kick in and let players take them from 40, 50 out.
3: Christian, you guys obviously work with a lot of clubs and you explained last week that the champion data was actually established to um, basically serve the the clubs in the league um, as opposed to media and and fans and whatnot. But how much notice of these sort of stats do you think the clubs um, take when they're trying to plan? So you talk about, that was such a good point you just made before that, you know, it's so much easier to try and, you know, hit up the, the um, goal scoring opportunities closer to goal and in the corridor. But obviously that's where clubs defend as well. Cause they obviously know that that high percentage of, of
1: kicking a goal from there. Do, yeah. do clubs pour over this sort of stuff week to week? Um, so again, I can't speak for all clubs and, you know, never worked in depth in a club, but I, I do know probably, these sort of competition averages are probably more looked at start of the season, mid-season, end of season to get an overall gauge of the competition. Then you want to look at your opposition each week and compare them to those numbers. So you look at Freo, you know, if you're coming up against them this week and you might say, well, competition average is 51% from 41 to 50. I'm just making these numbers up. But say, you know, they might score from 75% 41 to 50. Um, so you, you always want to be across competition averages and game trends and that. But I think week to week it's really about how does our opposition – play to these game trends. So uh, I don't think they'd be pouring over this week to week, but they definitely, at the end of the season, they'd sit down and collate it for their preparation in the next season going, all right, this is how the competition plays as an average. This is how we want to play. And week to week, this is how how, how, how our opposition wants to play. So, um, yeah, I don't think they'd be looking at too many full competition stats um, during the year unless they're trying to get a handle on what they want to change. And again, when we do talk to clubs and clubs are getting much smarter, you, want to, you really only want to look at the stats that you that match up to your game plan. You don't want to just have numbers thrown at you and go, oh, hang on, we're really good at this. If that's not part of your game style, you don't want to be given a number that says you're really good at this, and you, then you change the whole way you play just because there's one number that's sort of an outlier. So again, clubs are much uh, streamlined in the stats they use. They probably don't want all the noise of all the extra stats. At the end of the season, they might sit down and go, oh, wow, we actually ranked number one in this, but it wasn't something we were trying to do, so they wouldn't have actively monitored it during the season. Fascinating.
2: Um, another question we had sort of in a similar vein um, was someone was really sort of interested by the expected scores. And that's that um, yep. whereby you sort of look at where the shots on goal are coming from and, and what the teams are expected to score from those shots. So the question is, what would the, the current ladder look like if expected scores leveled everything out? So um, are there teams which have been lucky in terms of their conversion from certain spots and that their ladder spot, would have them higher than what they normally would be or is there teams that have been unlucky and the other way around does that make sense what i'm asking yep
1: yep so so far this season there's been 13 games uh, that have gone against expected accuracy results so that is just taking into account all shots at goal both teams had across the game right if they had a at, comp- at the competition average what their score should have been so uh, surprisingly two of those games, two of those 13s have actually been Adelaide losses. Um, one where they should have drawn with St. Kilda. So they had a 23 point loss to St. Kilda earlier this year. That should have been a draw if everyone had a scored as expected. Uh, and they lost another game to 3 by three points, which they should have actually won by 20. So again, wow. they're, probably, they're, they're two sort of heartbreaking losses for Adelaide in terms of, you know, it's, conversion would have really helped in those. So um, so is that like
2: just missing a goal from directly in front, 15 metres out, hitting the post or something like that?
1: Maybe, but again, it's just the sum of everything. So if you're taking shots that have got an six... Again, this is all shots. So again, what we just covered before was set shots, but this is looking at if you're being chased by a player and you're kicking from the right side on your right right boot from 35 metres out, you should score at 48%. If you score a goal, you'll get a plus 52% in your column. Right. If you score a behind, you sort of, you know, you get, uh, I think you still get the 48%, you sort of get 0%. And then if you miss, you get negative 48% sort of thing. So again, it, it, it's just a collation of all, every time someone's had a shot for goal, whether they've scored or not. Um, and then, yeah, just a plus or minus based on um, your shot at goal rating, basically. So, Again, yeah, looking at the ladder, um, not too much change for halfway through the season. A couple of the, you know, what you might want to call blessed teams, maybe, but uh, probably GWS are the biggest ones. So they're seventh on the ladder um, as of today. They should be tenth if every game went to the results of expected scores. Um, they're probably the biggest one. Again, Collingwood, uh, eighth at the moment. They should be fifth if they had a scored at accuracy. Um, and West Coast is probably the other way. They're, they're at fourth at the moment, but expected to be seventh had all games gone to expected accuracy. So, again, the thing that can move your ladder position is if Adelaide had two more wins, then that, you know, again, Adelaide's not affecting anyone. But again, that's changing that Melbourne might have had an extra win. Therefore, they go above West Coast and things like that. So, um, not too much difference. But again, uh, expected scores, one of those things, it's, we're sort of starting to touch on it like percentage. It's a very, very good indicator of how a team's gone overall. So, the big one, That we noticed last year, Uh, so 2019 expected scores was Port Adelaide. So they uh, finished tenth on the ladder. Had everyone's kicked at expected accuracy, they would have been fifth. So again, they did everything right last year. A lot of uh, all the things you sort of want to talk about. They they dominated territory. They won contested possessions. They 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 did a lot right last year. Just didn't put the results on the scoreboard. Um, you know, could have finished fifth, got a home final the first week, but didn't even make finals, um, you know, at the end of the ladder at the end of the year, again, looking at that at the end of the season, we sort of thought, well, Port Adelaide did a lot, a lot, right. Um, so again, we sort of had pretty big expectations for them coming in this year. And you sort of look at what they've done similar to percentage. It's a very good indicator of sometimes that a team lower or higher on the ladder might, might might've been outperforming or underperforming, um, when you really drill into that number. So again, it'll be interesting to get to the end of the season. Um, and see, you know, you can almost make a slight prediction on next year on whether it, whether a team's going to be going up or down, uh, looking at the expected scores. And yeah, Port Adelaide's one of our good examples of that. I think that's
0: really interesting because um, I, a lot of people make too much of a team or a player being uh, being inconsistent in front of goal or whatever. But you know, from from what you you sort of see over a long period of time, is that that accuracy sort of. It ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. It, no team is always inaccurate or always accurate. It'll come and go, and it'll go through patches. So, as you say, if Port was doing all the right things last year, I mean, you know, it can change. With if you have, if you start finding, if you start becoming more accurate in front of uh, in front of the in front of goals. I mean, St Kilda was copying all sorts of criticism for being inaccurate um, the last couple of seasons. So, you can turn it around pretty quickly.
2: Question without notice, does weather affect the expected score from a certain position? Like, like you said, if you're 35 mm-hmm. out on your right boot and it's pouring with rain, does the expected... No.
1: Yeah, so we haven't got... No, we haven't gone into that greater detail. Again, just because rain's one of the things... I mean, we used to tag wet games, and but is it actually raining when you kicked it compared yeah. to is the ground just wet? So again, it's, it's too many variables. It's, and again, going back to a lot of what we spoke about last week, trying to get that consistency and hard and fast definition... Um, we just don't have a consistent way of recording, you know, whether it's raining or whether it's a wet game and things like that. So, um, no, nah, this is just, yeah, looking at all the whole competition, um, as an average. So yeah, without taking into account weather. but again, interesting, looking at, again, the biggest match swings this year. Um, and for me, it sort of, as soon as I sorted that column, it sort of set off a light bulb in my head, Richmond Hawthorne, I think it was round four and Hawthorne absolutely dominated Richmond. Um, and, you know, they played very, very well. But again, you look at the numbers, it's like, well, they didn't actually dominate all over the field. They just put it on the scoreboard. That was actually a 41-point 40, swing in Hawthorne's favour that game. So that's the biggest sort of difference wow. uh, in a game this year. Uh, so 41 points better for Hawthorne across um, expected accuracy. And again, they, they, I think they were expected to lose that game and expected scores and ended up uh, thrashing Richmond. The second biggest match swing, Neil, probably not great for you, but round one, Melbourne West Coast. Melbourne were actually uh, expected to win... Uh, it was a 32-point swing. So, I think, yeah, I think they were expected to win that game and ended up losing by 20-odd. So, um, again, it's something we spoke about. Melbourne dominate inside 50s, just can't put it on the scoreboard. And, um, yeah, their round one game was probably their worst example
3: of it. It feels like a lifetime ago, that round one game. But I do remember Melbourne having a huge... You look at the end result and you think Melbourne, you know, got done by 30-odd points. But for, for a vast majority of that game, Melbourne actually were the better team. Um, but just couldn't get it on the scoreboard and then it went down the other end and bang, bang, bang and it's amazing how quickly games can turn like that.
1: Yeah, so again it, it'd be interesting and wouldn't know but again whether coaches are looking at this and going well expected scores are actually a big factor if we did a lot right we mm. just got to put it on the scoreboard so instead of throwing everything out and going well we lost that game so we, we're not going to try this, this and this anymore they might look at expected scores and go well what we tried actually worked we, we were supposed to win by 41 points we just got to improve goal I think team.
2: that's a, so, a really really good point and I'm, you talked about Port Adelaide, but. Ken Hinckley must have looked at the numbers at the end of last year and thought, what the hell can I be doing? But you know, it just goes to show a different year, um, you know, a bit of luck goes your way and and suddenly you're sort of at the top of the ladder and and looking good. And that contract's going to be under his nose in no time. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: One more question we've got for the Ask Champions data, and we're going to keep doing this throughout the weeks uh, to the listeners at home. So please keep sending these in because they're really good. Um, Can you Christian, please explain the difference between a clangor a negative act and a turnover.
1: Yep. Um, So clangers and negative acts are clangers. So negative acts are, I'll start with a clanger first. So a clanger is probably, again, it was um, like champion data ranking points. It was probably a really, really great selling point when uh, we came in in 1999. No one was recording mistakes. So we're recording kick clangers. So kick that goes straight to the opposition. That doesn't give your teammate any chance. Uh, So again, you kick to a 50-50 and the opposition takes a mark. You won't get a clanger for that because it wasn't necessarily totally your fault. Uh, handball clanger same thing handballing straight to the opposition Um, and then also we rolled in freeze against 50 meter penalties Uh, they're also clangers and then you've got the negative acts which are drop marks fumbles so a guy that running down the wing goes to have a running bounce bounces it loses possession of the ball Uh, that's called a no pressure error Uh, debits so um, you know you're punch the ball 20 metres forward and it goes straight to the opposition when you should have taken possession yourself, you'd get a debit for that. So there there, there's tiny little things in the game that we call that are called negative, negative acts. They might, you know, again, might be something you might hear the commentator say, well, you won't get a stat for that. Well, he is, he's getting a clanger, but again, no, nobody has, well, again, go back to last week, what we're talking about with stat tables, no one has debits and no pressure errors and smothered disposals in their negative acts. So, um, so again, uh, yeah, clanger is a, a direct turnover, a direct um, mistake that, you know, was totally your fault. So again, a free against might not be a turnover because the team might already have the ball and you give another free against away. It still goes down as a clanger because you've just given an easier possession away. Uh, Whereas a turnover is just every uh, change in possession um, outside of a stoppage. So again, turnover is probably one of those slightly misunderstood terms. If someone's had 10 turnovers a game, you go, well, he's had a shocking game. But again, he might have had 30 touches. Um, and those ten turnovers again, we break turnovers down into three different categories. So there's takeaway turnovers. That's where it's just you've kicked it to the pack, the opposition's won the ball back. So that that's a turnover that the possessions changed to a new team. But it wasn't necessarily the disposal, you know, the, the player that kicked its fault, but he will get noted with a turnover from his disposal. But the two real turnovers that when people hear the term turnovers that you really think of, they're giveaways. So we have unforced and forced giveaways. So it, Forced and unforced, it's just depending on how much pressure you're under. There, the, the threshold. Uh, so again, um, it's a set position or no pressure in general play. Um, so, a bloke, you know, running again. There's no, there's no hard and fast distance, but probably five, ten meters in the clear, no pressure. Uh, There'll be unforced giveaways. Uh, so, a forced giveaway is when you're getting tackled or uh, corralled, or someone's closing in on you, and you have to get the ball away. Um, and you've kicked it straight to the opposition. Or again, it, it wasn't a contest one at the end of your kick or handball. It just went straight to them. So they're the probably the unforced giveaway turnovers, which there's about 16, 17 per game out of 70 turnovers per game are the ones that people think when they hear the term termo, turnover, they're thinking of the blatant mistakes. So they're the, they're the uh, unforced giveaways. But again, it's just one of those things. Clangers came about in 99 was a great term. Uh, but then we started to look at more change of, Breakdown change in possessions, um, and notice that yeah, the stat that we needed to balance of when one team had the ball and the next team got it is it's a turnover stat, and then trying to um, value those turnovers to whether it was just a contest one or an unforced giveaway and a forced oh. giveaway. So yeah, it's one of those things that's just evolved over time. So clangers is probably the old stat, turnovers is probably a newer um, sort of beefed up version of it almost, and
2: makes players look worse because they'll obviously have more turnovers than clangers in a game.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you, you know you, well, you could, you couldn't, because again, if you've given away five free kicks in the ruck, yeah, you might not have right. had a turnover from a disposal. And so again, they don't, they don't necessarily have to balance. Um, yeah, but again, probably the clangers are the, the all the unforced giveaways, and all the times you've lost possession when you you know you should have taken a clean mark or clean possession. Whereas yeah, turnovers, as I said, happen seventy times per game. They're probably not as. Uh, um, as negative as people often think they are when they hear the term turnover.
2: Very good. We can add, I think we can add clanger to the the great footy words, Neil and Jake, that we started started compiling last year. (laughs) We had a few good footy terms. Um, Excellent stuff, Christian. We'll continue, as I said, we'll continue to do this ask champion data stuff uh, throughout the year. So please hit us up with your questions. If you have any more, Um, Neil, uh, we've got a bit to get through, so we'll, we'll hustle through, but speaking of clangers, what did you make of the Crows' tactics against an injured Max Gorn uh, on the weekend? And did you buy the claim that from Matthew Nix that they didn't know he was injured when they targeted his <laughs> his uh, his shoulder?
3: Well, I mean, I don't buy that for a second. Um, if they didn't know that Max Gorn was carrying a shoulder injury, they're not doing their job correctly. The whole footy world knew that Gorn was in a little bit of doubt, but he soldiered through um, and he was past fit to play. So I'm, I'm not going to talk about whether or not it's, the right thing to do. To ta- all star players get targeted, don't they? That all star players usually get physically targeted. Maybe not from fifty, hundred meters behind the ball, but that's a different debate. I was shocked when Matthew Nix yesterday came out and said, "Oh no, we didn't. We didn't know that he was injured. Um, nothing, nothing untoward to see here." And it just made me question whether the Crows are going just as poorly off the field as they are on the field. It's just one PR communications disaster after another. They've They've got, you know, Mark Rosciuto coming out, you know, saying shooting, shooting from the hip and causing all sorts of dramas. Um, they've they've had the you know the the COVID camp breaches from the start of the year where they didn't really want to own up to that, and then they came out, had uh, Tyson Stengel's uh, drink driving charge, which they tried to sweep under the carpet. Yep. And they only admitted to that once the media um, released it. Um, you can probably go all the way back to the Kurt Tippett um, contract saga and the and the horrible Pre season camp, that they try to sweep it all under the carpet, and I think they're trying to treat people like idiots, media and fans alike. You know, I think a good corporate organisation or a good sporting organisation is, is as transparent as possible, and I think the Crows are having a shocker off the field, and they've, they've really got to think about the way they conduct themselves.
2: Well, I mean, next players too. Andrew McLeod came out and sort of said that he doesn't really want to walk into the club as, as it is currently. So, yeah, there are plenty of issues there, Something's and they're not just. On the field, are they? Yeah. And you thought that when, when they sort of did a bit of a, a clean out at the end of last year and brought Nick's in that things might be on the up. But you're right. If, if Nick's had come out and said, yeah, look, you know, he's one of the best rucks in the league. We knew he was in doubt. So we thought we'd harass him at every contest. You might have a bit more respect for them.
3: Yeah. I think, I think being actually honest about it would have garnered a lot more respect.
2: Uh, I had this question a bit further down the pecking order, but since we're talking about PR, I've got a couple of opinions on how the Tigers the, handled the Mabior-Chol and the groping situation. Jake or Neil, do you have any thoughts before I have a, have a talk about that?
3: Dig in, Matt. Far away. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously one of the biggest stories that, that came about throughout the week. But the way that Damien Hardwick approached that press conference uh, really surprised me because as far as I was concerned, and I'm not, I'm not a Twitter addict or a social media addict by any means, but it was what? all over. <laughs> Sorry. You, you live on Twitter, <laughs> mate. I, I do not. Uh, but I, I saw that, that vision and there was discussion on that um, the day before the press conference. And when I saw the note uh, notification, in my email saying that, that Damien Harvey was going to be available to the media. The first thing I thought was great. He's going to get asked about this because it's obviously a big issue. And when he got asked by Hugh Rimminton, who's a, who's not strictly a footy journalist, um, the way that Hardwick handled it was atrocious. Just completely went back into his shell, shut shut, um, shut everything down basically and, and just didn't want to bar of it and came across as really, came across really poorly. Uh, and then the media manager sort of swanned in and said, oh, look, you know, we hadn't heard about this. Um, we're going to take questions on the footy only. And it was just a disastrous press conference um, when the Tigers really, if they had... Um, any sort of foresight, they would have known that that question was coming and could have approached it in a much better way saying, yep, we are aware of this and, and that this has happened. It's clearly not a good look and we're currently getting to the bottom of it. And once we do get to the bottom of it, uh, we'll, we'll come out and, and have, a, have a statement ready. But the way that sort of Hardwick just shut down and just did not want a bar of Riminton's questions was a really poor look for the Tigers uh, and a rare sort of strike against what has become a really good, strong cultural club.
3: Is that Hardwick's fault or, or the communications team's fault for Well yes for and that's a good point.
2: Then. It, it, the media manager should should have known like that, the first thing I, th- I saw when I saw that Damon Hardwick was going to face the press was he's going to get questions on this. So someone in the media department wasn't aware of this and they should have been or someone should have done their research or, or something, but um, it was really poorly handled and, and Hardwick probably could have handled it better in terms of the questioning. Um, he could have deflected a bit better and with, with sort of a less cold attitude. Maybe, um, but obviously, it's not his fault. He needs to be informed by um, by his media team as well. So, you know, a bit of bit of both, bit of blame for both there. Um, anything else before we move on on that? It's,
3: it's just another. You know, you see these these incidents, and it's just another. Um, you know, we all love our footy, but footy culture is so strange. Those those incidents that happen, and then once the Tigers incident um, came, you know, came out as um, there were other incidences that came to light as well. Um, And most people that have discussed it who have played footy or been in these change room environments have sort of said, yeah, I've seen a bit of that. And it's just so bizarre that it's just a genuine part of football culture that a lot of people still think is just, you know, fair game.
2: I I played footy for six, seven years until I was 18 and never once was that sort of stuff ever. I mean, plenty of bum slapping after goals and stuff. And after, you know, singing a song, you might slap someone's bum as you go back to your seat. But nothing to the extent of what we saw against Chole. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, Eagles, they've won six in a row and they're looking pretty comfortable at Optus Stadium. Are they your flag favourites at the moment? Uh,
0: yes. Well, I was pretty hot on the Eagles at the start of the year. Um, and I think they, I mean, obviously they struggled in the early, early, early portion of the year when they, they were up north. Um but they've gone home as, as they, they were always going to and they're, they're playing good football. And it's kind of like Richmond last year. You know, Richmond Richmond wasn't playing great. They had injuries. But we always knew they were going to have this massive run against the MCG and they came home um, and, and won the whole thing. So West Coast is going well. I thought the game against Collingwood, I know Collingwood had a few outs, but that game against Collingwood was just about the best I've seen anyone play this year uh, for four quarters. They were They were really, really good in that game. Um, played well to get over the line against Geelong and didn't play spectacular against Carlton, but again found a way to get the to get the four points. And I mean that says a lot about it, a quality side because Carlton were up for that, uh, particularly when they, they kicked another goal in the in the second half to, to go up by uh, nineteen points. So uh, yeah, I, I reckon they just about are the flag favourites right now.
2: Neil, any qualms with that response?
3: Uh, not qualms, but I'm I'm just wondering, and we're going to discuss this in a second, but is the venue of the grand final could that determine who we think's going to be the premiership favourite? Right, because it oh, looks it's, like it's down. Yeah, if it if it's held in Perth, you'd almost back the Eagles unequivocally. If it's in Adelaide, you know suddenly the Power look like the team to beat in Brisbane as well. If they if they decide to hold it in the Gabba, so might it all come down to where it's actually held.
2: Are We just I, I... the Cats at all? I I said pre-season the Cats were my premiership favourites. They were out of favour there for a bit, but um, the way that they sort of combined uh, overnight last night against the Saints and walloped them. That's, that's got me wondering if, if the Cats... I mean, I said it was their last chance with all those ageing stars. But, you know, Sel would play good. Dangerfield played well. Hawkins is is in incredible form. Uh, Rowan kicked four goals. Yeah, Jake, your mate. Um, it, it all seems to be coming together. uh <laughs> Harry Taylor still looks good. So maybe the Cats as well. Probably I mean, there are a it, few teams yeah. in, in contention. Yeah,
0: Geelong's looking good. I think Goal has been... Um, has. Taken his game to, to another level, and it's I think it's obviously allowing danger to play forward more, um, which is which is good in this time because he needs to have that rest in such a compressed period. But
1: mm.
0: you know, when it gets to the when it gets to the crunch, I mean, he's going to have to play more in the midfield. I think it just, he's, it's just his his best position. Um, but no, Ge- Geelong's definitely a chance. And to go back to what Neil was saying, it's definitely going to come down to to the grand to the to the venue that we have the grand final at. But not knowing where we're going to have that as of now, I, I think I'd be taking West Coast, you know, because I, you know you take I take West Coast uh, over any other team, and not again not knowing where where the um, the grand final is going to be.
2: Well, let's talk about that because we're two months and one week out from the proposed grand final date, October seventeen. Um, uh, I mean, when does the AFL need to make a decision, Neil?
3: I think they're just they're stalling, aren't they? They they they're giving them enough they're giving themselves enough time to make a decision, you know, as close as possible to the date. I think the public and the media would love to know now where and when, um, oh, the but would. the world is so unstable at the moment um, that you know they're probably just buying time. And then if they make it's probably easier for them to buy time rather than make a decision, make a call, and then have to backtrack on that. So I can see why they're doing it. I think it's probably fair fair play from them. Um, but it's yeah, it's difficult for the rest of us when we're you know even discussing who's going to win the flag it, and we don't even know where the grand final's going to be played. It makes it a little bit more difficult.
2: Is this the year to trial a whichever team is highest ranked when the grand final comes around? Is that is this the year to trial that sort of that sort of finale?
3: But then what happens if the Giants or or Geelong make it? You know.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. You can't
3: hold it in. It doesn't seem like Sydney's on the venue, on the list of possibilities, and obviously Victoria's out of it too. So. Um, (laughs) Tasmania Yeah, Queenstown footy over with the gravel I think that'll work
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very good Uh, Jake, the Dockers Sneaky good the last six weeks Four wins from their their last six Uh, The loss includes one to the Eagles Who we just mentioned Uh, But is the home ground factor of them Also playing it off the stadium Is it muddying the waters, so to speak? It's
0: it's certainly helping them But I think We spoke about uh, some of the the bottom four sides A few weeks ago And um, their their young midfield brigade is looking really really solid. Um, Sarong particularly, I, I've been really impressed with him the last couple of weeks. He get finds the ball, finds the ball, uses it well. Um, Brayshaw had a fantastic game last night. Um, Chera as well. And again, go, it, it's kind of like the if Obviously, these guys are a lot younger, but it just allows Fife to go and play a little bit more forward. And Fife is the type of player that can go forward. He's great overhead. He's good around goals. He's strong. Uh, he, I think Fife is a better forward than Dangerfield. Um, so it's, he's a great asset to be able to go forward. And then when he comes into the midfield, we know what he can do. So I think Freo is looking pretty good. Um, obviously, got a few injuries in defence. Looks like Hogan might be playing uh, in the back line if he's to come back into
2: the side. But uh, pretty good signs from the Dockers. Did Hogan ever play back at the D's, Neil? Have you seen him with his did. He crowd? did as a junior.
3: No, he didn't. He, there was, when he was a little bit out of form during his time at the Ds, there was a lot of chat about throwing him back because he did play um, a little bit of his junior career as a centre-half back. And I think it would actually suit him. It looks like the, the forward mix at Frio is probably working pretty well. Yeah. Um, and he's probably too good a player not to play. But, you know, they've got all those key defensive injuries. It kind of makes sense to throw him back. That's I think mean. it also shows
0: at the moment with all the defensive injuries, um, it's really highlighting how great a player Luke Ryan is. We're just about to say the same thing. I think people started to notice it a bit last year, but man, he is a
2: serious, seriously good footballer. And he's extremely versatile. He's a bit like Dane Rampey at the Swans, where he can play a lot taller than what he is. Yeah. And he's played on some really big, big players this year, but he also, he still intercepts. He still gets up the ground. He still uses the ball well off half Um. Yeah, I mean, look, all Australian contention at this point, perhaps. Uh, um, I think he has to be has in to contention. Be. Yeah, so, sure. so, I mean, yeah, like you said, you, you talk about the Dockers' defensive injuries with Logue out, Pierce out, Hamling out. Um, it is giving other players the opportunity to sort of um, state their claim. And, and that obviously brings with it chances to get more kids in and play in other roles if, if you're sort of switching Hogan around to defence when he comes in or, or Luke Ryan's taking a key defender. So, yeah, plenty to like about the Dockers. They've got the Blues and the Swans in the next two weeks. Neil, could they win both of those and be on a roll?
3: I think they'd be favourite too. Um, I think so. I mean, I guess the, the question: if they win those, they're probably only a game or two out. Of, or probably only a game out of the eight. So, I don't think they'll play finals. But you know, Longview is having a great first season,
2: isn't he? All right, let's move on. Uh, we'll play a round of justified hype or hyperbole, where I will uh, say a statement, and you guys will tell me if I'm talking in hyperbole or if the hype is justified. Um, Christian, I might throw to you first. We ask this every week. Uh, and it doesn't get any less funny, unfortunately. Adelaide <laughs> won't win again in 2020. What do the numbers say?
1: Uh, again, I'll go back to expected scores. They could be one win and <laughs> one draw. So they could, they could be on six points. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I still wonder the impression that they will. I still want to say they will, but... We're running out yeah, of games. <laughs> and, and, form, and their form's probably going a little bit backwards as well, which is surprising. Um, as I said, a couple of those, again, go back to the expected scores there from earlier in the season. Uh, those games, so I'll say yes for one more week. But uh, come back to me next week.
2: <laughs> very good,
1: Jake. Uh, Tom
2: Hawkins has been the best key forward of his generation. Uh,
1: that's
0: very much hyperbole. Uh, he's a, he's a very good player, Tom Hawkins. But I think I think straight off the top of my head, I can give you three that are three that have bettered him over the, this generation. I think we can clearly say Buddy Franklin uh, is ahead of him. Josh Kennedy is probably ahead, and I think Jack Rewalt as well, not just for the not just for his flags, but I think people underestimate Jack Rewold. I think he's won three Coleman medals. Like you, you look at a lot of Jack Rewalt copped a lot of criticism early on. I mean, then do we even look at Nick Rewalt? Do we say Nick Rewalt was in the same generation as Tom Hawkins? Um, you know, players like Matthew Pavlich. I'm not quite sure where we how far back, what what are we counting as the generation? So as good as Tom Tom Hawkins is. Uh no, he's not the best player of the generation. If
2: I change the question a bit, if I said Tom Hawkins has been, uh, or how do I want to frame this? Maybe not the best key forward. Has he been the most versatile key forward of his generation? (laughs) He's been number. He's been top three in goal assists the last few years. Um, he gives off more. He's. he's I don't necessarily think that's versatile, though. I think he's just a good player. He he does give a give a lot
0: off. Um. No doubt about that. He's he's always been a good goal assistant. He's, he's a very selfless player, but I just think over over a ten year span, uh, there's three or four others that I'd probably take ahead of him. But but not by not by huge margins. I think Tom, Haw- you wouldn't be disappointed to have Tom Hawkins in your side.
1: No, it, for, for, sure. for me, there's a little bit of uh, Scott Pendlebury and the Tom Hawkins is that he has been so good and so consistent for so long, people have got bored of talking about him. He doesn't have the flashy highlights like uh, Buddy. He doesn't have the three Coleman's maybe like Jack. But for me, I'd only have Buddy slightly ahead of him and that I could be argued against that. Tom Hawkins has been phenomenal for 10 to 12 years. Um, but again, I think it's just it's the lack of highlights. He doesn't take the big marks. He doesn't, you know, Ben Brown appeared on the scene, so he was the new one. Again, Josh Kennedy's been good and won premierships and that, but Tom Walken's been doing what he's been doing for 10 years, week in, week out. And I think, yeah, I think people start to get a bit bored of <laughs> someone being so good for so long. There you Fair go.
2: Point, Neil, uh, I've got a statement for you. <laughs> you, Neil Seawang, fully understand the holding the ball rule. Is that justified hype <laughs> or hyperbole?
3: <laughs> that is hyperbole and I'm getting more confused by the week. Um, and I, I'm still absolutely filthy on the AFL for changing the interpretation um, you know, partway through the year. It was a very confusing rule to start with, wasn't it? There's always you know prior opportunity versus incorrect disposal versus you know, did they get spun 360 versus are they making an effort? So it's always confusing, confusing for the players, the umpires, for everyone. And then they go and change the interpretation, you know, after four or five games when Alastair Clarkson cracks the sads after a game. So. No, I don't understand it, um, and I'm getting more confused every week because the umpires. I don't, the umpires don't, I don't think the
0: umpires don't. I don't think the umpires understand.
2: 100. No, I, I agree with, with you. I think um, there are just so many. Like I went through the... I actually looked up the rules, and there are so many sub clauses in that that one rule. Like there's one where it's like it's not holding the ball if the player doesn't dispose of it correctly, but it comes out in the tackle. I mean, like I, it's 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 bizarre to read. Um, one more before we move on. Oh, no, two more. Jake, the Saints' loss to the Cats is something to be concerned about.
0: Uh, from a St Kilda perspective, yeah. I mean, you kind of got to be concerned with any big loss, um, particularly if St Kilda... You know, the Saints were having a really solid year and all of a sudden you, you sort of run up against a brick wall and it sort of puts you back in your place a little bit to sort of say, well, hang on a minute. You're not quite as good as the top-tier teams. But I also think... Um, you know, Geelong played really well. It was a really solid second half. Hawkins and Rowan really got, got hold of them. The, the defence didn't look too strong. I don't think it's a disastrous loss. I think they'll learn a lot from that type of game. But, yeah, I think it certainly shows that the gap between the, the middle-of-the-road team, which Thank Kilda is this year, um, and a premiership chance in Geelong.
2: And I'll stick with you for this last one because you watched this game really closely. But Richmond and Port Adelaide was the game of the year.
0: Uh, it probably was, yeah. I, th- I think it was, particularly the first half. That first half was just, I think there was only 10,000 people there. It sounded ridiculous. I don't know if they had, if they were pumping extra noise in, but that sounded really loud. That sounded like a showdown. Um, the quality was really good, it was tight. Port were, Port were on top. Like, Port should have been a fair way ahead. But Richmond were taking their chances. They got a little bit lucky. I think Martin Martin should have given a free kick away and maybe rewold as well from memory. They, they got lucky. There were a few 11-point uh, swings in that first half. Um, the only downside of that game, though, which I will say, uh, and I really enjoyed the full, the full uh, four quarters, but the commentary, and I'm not someone who likes banging on the commentary because it's not an easy job. I, I know, I understand that. But the commentary from Fox footy, particularly Eddie Maguire in that game, was just deplorable. I actually had a few friends message me and say, I can't watch this game. Like, It is just so bad. The way he was it? carrying on. Well, there's a few things, but let me just tell you this. <laughs> I counted. There, he, he called... 11 different players eleven in that game playing, 11 different players, either a superstar or a champion. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't even think there's 11 superstars or champions in the whole league, let alone in two teams.
2: Yeah, you yeah, could probably yeah. count on two hands, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: he, it was just too over-the-top excited. Who was,
2: who was the player that was called a champion that you weren't too sure about?
0: Uh, I, off the top of my head. Nathan no, Broad. Remember, but, Charlie Dixon. Okay, fair enough. Call Dusty a champion, but you can't be calling everyone a champion. Like, not everyone is a champion. Not everyone is special by nature. Um, no, but it was a good game. Uh, don't get bogged down with that too much. And yeah, you kind of watched it and you thought, gee, this could this could be a final.
3: I yeah, was watching well. the game too, Jake. And it's interesting that you said you had a few mates commenting on the commentary on social media, it was the game of the year. Everyone was loving it. And for every single person talking about how great the game was, there's, there seemed to be someone else saying, I can hardly listen to this. It's awful with him. You know, my, my least favorite commentator, Dwayne Russell, those two going head to head was, <laughs> it was shocking. I had to turn on the radio commentary and try and sync it up. It, was, it, was, it actually took the gloss off what was the game of the year.
2: There you go. Uh, In the words of the great Eddie Maguire, here we go. We've got to wrap it up. Uh, Make sure you get your tips in, Footy Tips app. The next round starts, well, depending on on when you're listening, it starts soon, so get your tips in. Uh, And we will speak to you in the next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.